Chapter 65 Big News As soon as Nix got back to the cherries, she called Tiago. Oscar answered, and Nix pretended to be Sarah, which to her dismay brought Tiago to the phone within a few seconds. It went against her every impulse, but Nix reminded Tiago that Pillowhead was still out there and that it was important for Sarah not to be left alone on the day off from school. Also that Tiago had an obligation, being her next-door neighbor, to check on her. He agreed, a little too readily, in Nix's opinion. He would call Sarah every couple hours, despite Nix's assurance that every four hours would be plenty, to make sure her dad didn't run off and leave her a sitting duck. That evening, from the public library, Nix sent the email that would sick the health inspectors on Donald Dibble. Her stomach churned the entire time she was in front of the computer, but after she'd sent it, a weight left her. She'd done her duty to inform the public. Now the authorities would act as they saw fit. At the very least, Dibble was in for some major embarrassment. Since Jordan was still officially grounded, Nick spent the rest of the evening memorizing the music from The Wizard of Oi. She wanted to call Gary and chat about demons, but for some reason, Nix couldn't build up the courage. Even though he'd expressly told her to call any time, day or night, she felt like she'd been bothering him. What if he meant only for emergencies? And anyway, she kind of wanted Jordan to be there when she showed Gary her paranormal skill set. School the next day went relatively smoothly, despite Nick still failing most of her classes. Also, people had started to notice she'd gained weight, mostly Danny Fry and various of Fawn's friends. Could Fawn have said something? It wouldn't be the first time the pixie had backstabbed her troll of a foster sister. But as far as getting attacked by demons, it was still a great day. The principals were still conspicuously absent, which allowed Nix to relax somewhat, but only until she realized it was more evidence they were being controlled by Satan. After all, why would the father of lies want to spend his day encouraging teenagers to behave themselves? Ms. Winkle had also taken the day off. Was she scheduled for radiation? Or maybe she felt too cancerous to come in. The thought that Nix's favorite teacher might not be around much longer distressed her greatly. Ms. Winkle was her mentor, inspiration, and cooking instructor. She couldn't die. There had been no sign of teachers with black sneakers, but Tiago continued to ignore his parents' mandate to ostracize the demon girl, and the musical was slowly shaping itself into something recognizable as art. When Nix came out of the auditorium, it was dark and starting to sprinkle. To her surprise, the Cherry's minivan sat in the parking lot. With Fawn following in the truck, Patrick drove Nix to the Department of Human Services, where Vivek made everyone sign a bunch of papers. Apparently, Mrs. Wack had reapplied to care for her daughter, and since Mrs. Zerby had offered to put them both up in an apartment with real windows, Vivek okayed it. Although he would visit weekly to ensure the living arrangements were still acceptable and Nix was adjusting well, or in other words, that she didn't have any new bruises. Nix felt awful for Fawn, who would be relocated into the group home the following evening. Apparently, they'd decided to store her truck until she came of age. Was the group home so bad kids were trying to escape? At least someone would drive her to and from WCHS until the end of the semester, so the show would go on. Though Nix knew it probably wasn't feasible, she offered to have Fawn stay with the wax. Fawn's expression made it clear she'd rather live under a bridge. After that, Nix didn't feel quite so broken up about Fawn moving across the river. 
That night, the Cherry's last supper was interrupted by a knock on the door. This was unexpected because it was nearly eight o'clock, and it was currently pouring outside. Mr. Cherry excused himself to answer the door and returned a few moments later. Wrong house. More loud knocks and now shouting came from out front, then what sounded like a crowd chanting. The three female members of the family went to peer out the front curtains. McGuckin stood on the front step. A few feet behind him, taking up the entire yard and driveway, stood a group of about 40 adults and college kids. A few had raincoats and umbrellas, but most were soaked. Three held signs, eat cross demons, and leave the girl. The last sign had bled too much to read. It might have said something about ghosts and goblins. Nix recognized the lady holding the sign. She'd taken pictures when the football team did their strip tease for the ghost enthusiasts. What were the ghost freaks doing in the Cherry's front yard? It sounded like they were saying, Bring out the girl! Had McGuckin told them Nix was possessed? Were they expecting a show? Maybe McGuckin thought he'd cast out the evil spirit to up his status with his followers. Ignore them, Patrick said. They'll lose interest, eventually. Andy didn't seem convinced. Fawn looked positively giddy. Did she have any idea what was going on? Maybe she thought McGuckin was there for her. That gave Nix an idea. Fawn, the vice principal loves you. Nix had no idea if that was the case, but Fawn didn't indicate otherwise, so Nix continued. You should go talk to him. If anyone can take control of this situation, it's you. Patrick shot Nix a questioning glance, and she shook her head slightly. Even if it only delayed the mob long enough for the police to arrive, the thing Fawn did best was make herself the center of attention. Fawn seemed to like the idea of throwing her negligible weight around. She slipped out the back door and made her way around front. Nix went right to the phone and called first Gary, then Jordan, who woke up his dad and told him McGuckin had finally lost it. Nix had just hung up when there was another, more polite, knock on the door. Patrick peeked out, then stepped back in astonishment. Fawn and McGuckin strolled into the house. It was impossible to talk out there, Fawn said. He said we'd want to hear what he had to say. Yeah, right. It was almost as if Fawn knew exactly what she was doing. Was she possessed too? There was one way to find out for sure. If Nix left her body, she could very quickly examine both Fawn and McGuckin for signs of that telltale darkness. If she was quick, there would be little chance of having her body snatched. Besides, if a demon did steal Nix's body, Andy would know what to do about it, hopefully. But the only thing that mattered was knowing whether there was a demon in her house so she could run away screaming or if it was an idiot vice principal who could easily be dealt with. McGuckin eyed Nix, but she speed-walked to her bedroom and locked the door. She lay on her bed, thought better of it, and crammed herself underneath it instead. It probably wasn't likely to fool a millennia-old demon, but it made her feel slightly better. She was out and in the living room in almost the same instant. That's impossible, Patrick said. McGuckin smirked. The microphone was in the main conference room. Apart from additional wrinkles and tiny discolorations in his skin, McGuckin looked as he always had. Ew, his eye veins were even more disturbing in HD. Polly said she couldn't figure out where the voices were coming from. What was McGuckin talking about? Did he mean at the library? Fawn also looked normal, except for being able to see every pore in her nose in each clump of foundation. Not nearly as intimidating as in real life, but Nix had to be doubly sure. 
She moved toward Fawn and took in every detail of her face. If she was being controlled, Nix would be able to see, wouldn't she? She watched McGuckin's eyes for flashes of glowing red or endless darkness. She finally discovered the audio was being piped in from the adjacent conference room. She found the speakers and was looking for a way to switch it off, when she heard some very interesting things. She wrote down everything you spoke about and came directly to me. What? Why would Polly even believe that? And why go to McGuckin, of all people? But at this point, it didn't matter as much as getting back into her body. She was fairly certain there were no demons in the house. Well, in the living room, anyway. Before Nix could think herself back into her body, she noticed Andy looking directly at her. Nix dismissed it as a coincidence until Andy made a motion toward the other end of the house and whispered, What are you doing? Get back in yourself! Nix shook off her surprise and followed the good advice. In her room, she momentarily freaked out above the empty bed, but then she remembered her subterfuge and found her body safe and inanimate among the dust bunnies. Once she'd regained her strength enough to climb out and brush herself off, she returned to the living room. Andy looked relieved. McGuckin had produced a notebook and was reading Polly's nearly incoherent notes from the demon meeting. That explained why McGuckin had come after Nix, thinking her possessed. It seemed Polly hadn't caught enough to get an accurate picture of what was actually happening. At least McGuckin hadn't yet said anything about Nix leaving her body at will and returning with town secrets. Patrick seemed to be systematically denying every statement McGuckin made and asserting that Polly had overheard them rehearsing a radio drama. Nix took the opportunity to shuffle to Andy's side and whisper, They're not demons. I could have told you that. McGuckin turned his attention to Nix. It was so reminiscent of him catching her talking in class that she almost apologized. How did you do it? he asked. Did the being of darkness show it to me? Show you what? Nix asked as respectfully as she could manage. My death. As soon as your body went limp in my arms, I saw it in vision. He seemed to realize how inappropriate that sounded and added, I was trying to save her from the malevolent spirit that is no doubt still eating her from the inside. A vision? It seemed like forever ago, but all Nix remembered doing was screaming in fury at the man. Come to think of it, he did go kinda glassy-eyed after that, right before he knocked himself unconscious. A man shouted in the front yard. Nix thought she recognized the voice. She ran to the window and tried to yank open the curtain. One of the rings got caught, and she ended up pulling the whole rod down. She was too distracted to apologize. Gary and Sergeant Frost had combined forces to push the crowd back from the house. Gary was shouting something about federal penitentiaries. Nick smiled. Fawn, on the other hand, looked almost as upset as McGuckin. Had she expected Nix to get carried away by the mob? Fawn got up in McGuckin's face, or tried. She made it to chest height. You wanted to give them a show? Let's do it. McGuckin furrowed his caterpillar eyebrows. Fawn pulled him by the elbow. Just follow my lead and get that rosary ready. To everyone's extreme surprise and confusion, Fawn launched herself out onto the porch and started convulsing and growling on the sidewalk. Everyone, including Gary and Sergeant Frost, froze. It seemed to take McGuckin a minute to figure out what was going on. After a moment of indecision, he produced his cross, uttered a few religious slogans, and slammed his palm with the cross in it onto Fawn's forehead. Predictably, Fawn fell limp as if unconscious, and McGuckin carried her off into the rain, which Nix thought was a nice touch. Of course, Sergeant Frost and Gary ran after him, demanded he relinquish Fawn. Sergeant Frost then took her vitals, and Gary called for paramedics. 
Most everyone in the crowd was grinning or applauding, and a few slapped McGuckin on the back. Inside, Andy laughed, and Nix couldn't help joining in. Patrick looked disgusted by the whole spectacle. That girl is seriously imbalanced. Nix had no idea how long the fawn distraction would last, and McGuckin certainly wouldn't forget about the real demon girl. But for now, the crowd's bloodlust had been sated, and Nix was free to go about her life, assuming Principal Weatherwax wasn't possessed. I know you're leaving tomorrow, Nix said to Andy, but you think you can drop me off at school? It would really help if you kind of scan all the classrooms and double-check that everyone is who they say they are, as far as Satan's minions are concerned. You can tell, right? I mean, you saw me as a ghost. I'm assuming you... Yes, my experiences with the spirit realm have heightened my perception. I can sense, and sometimes see, spirits who aren't actively trying to conceal themselves from me. And I have no trouble identifying evil entities inside a physical body. It's much harder for them to hide when clothed in flesh. So you'll come and check the students and teachers tomorrow? The cherries shared a look, then Andy added, Okay, but after that, you're on your own. Nix nodded, reminding herself that she'd still have Gary and Jordan. Gary returned first and got further details of the incident. When he learned the cherries were leaving, he tried to convince them to stay and help in the fight against darkness. They refused claiming the only way to win against evil spirits was to stay out of their way. Nix made a mental note to have Gary speak with the Padillas, or better yet, the Padillas' big-shot priest. Having a reputable, government-connected professional vouch for Nix had to be more effective than a second- or third-hand account. Sergeant Frost called an hour later, said Fawn was in perfect health, and that she could be picked up from the hospital any time. Patrick joked about leaving her overnight, but in the end, the whole family went up to bring her home. The ride back was tense at first, but after Nix expressed her admiration for Fawn's heroic distraction, everyone relaxed. Fawn recounted all the acting training she'd done in middle school, and how she and Brian used to go into restaurants and pretend to have an explosive argument. Then afterward, people would give her free food and even money. Nix chose not to comment about Brian. He would get his soon enough. Fawn actually said goodnight to Nix, well, to the car in general, but she was looking at Nix. It was the closest thing to a sisterly gesture Fawn had ever made. Given more time, could they have become friends? Nix suspected it had less to do with time and more to do with social pressure. No matter how civil they might be in private, they could only be mortal enemies in public. Otherwise, Fawn's entire snobbish platform would topple. At least, next semester Nix wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. Fawn could terrorize Hani Asant High. In the morning, Nix had just turned on the water to get it hot for her shower when someone knocked. Nix hesitantly cracked the door, expecting an irate Fawn and an argument about bathroom schedules. Andy smiled at her. I thought you should know. Patrick and I discussed it last night. What Gary said made a lot of sense. We've decided to stay and help where we can. Nix clapped and nearly lost her towel. That's so great, so Fawn can stay? We will still have to let DHS know, but first Patrick's going to try to get his job back. I'll stop by the school as soon as I have the van. So I'll see you there? Hopefully not, Andy said. I'm going to try to avoid the vice principal. I'll wander the halls pretending to look for you to give you your medication or something. Worst case scenario, they call you out of class and you can make some sort of distraction while I finish up my scan for spiritual darkness. Naturally, if I find any, I'll pull you out immediately and we can regroup with Gary. Nix couldn't help the rush of relief and excitement that poured out of her. 
This was the day they took back the school and made it safe for Sarah and the other students, even the ones she didn't like all that much. She was, however, going to have a pointed discussion with Polly Pucker. Nick stepped outside to find frost on the ground and innumerable icy mud puddles. Thank heavens for the good jellyfish of the north and her shoe gift. Nix thought about running back inside for her hooded sweater, but knew by lunch the sun would be baking everything again, and she'd be forced to lug her sweater around in her bag. Better to freeze in the morning than sweat all day. Besides, if she had to create some sort of distraction for Andy, she wanted to be unencumbered by excess clothing. Maybe she could start her own striptease on the grass. That would certainly get McGuckin's attention. Or maybe she could convince Fawn to convulse on the ground again. McGuckin would have no choice but to perform another fake exorcism. When the bus pulled into the school parking lot, five police cruisers lined the curb adjacent to the administration building. Nix hadn't known the town even owned five cop cars. Had Weatherwax murdered someone? Maybe McGuckin convinced the police that Nix was a danger to her fellow students. The student chatter was louder than normal when Nix stepped off the bus into the frigid air. Instead of walking to classes, kids were gathered in groups of four or five across the grass and sidewalks, some standing, some sitting, everybody talking animatedly, as if it were some school-wide group project. Nix didn't see Jordan or Tiago, so she headed toward the group closest to her, three boys sitting on a rusted air conditioning unit. One of the boys hopped down to meet Nix. It was the same muscular kid who'd asked directions to the bathroom at Sarah's party. She couldn't help but notice how pretty his eyes looked next to his dark skin. The thought made her feel guilty, like somehow she was cheating on Tiago. You seen this? he asked. You and the blind kid are off the hook. Urbanek burned his own house down. Now Nix saw what everyone had gathered around, newspapers. The crier had finally printed her email about Urbanek's fire. She did her best to look surprised, but the relief was genuine. She hadn't been sure what the newspaper editors would make of her wild accusations. Apparently, credibility wasn't a problem anymore. Oh, cool, she said lamely. The boy grinned, showing a perfect row of teeth, and went back to his place on the air conditioner. Nix was grinning, too, but inside she felt more confused than anything. Could all this excitement be about Urbanek smoking in bed? She tried to remember what else was in the email. Jordan would remember exactly what it said. Nix scanned the other huddled groups, watching for flashes of white blonde hair as she wandered among them. At least all the hubbub would make it easier for Andy to roam unseen. Here it is! A female voice rose above the crowd, a senior who Nix was pretty sure was the star of the volleyball team. She sat on a picnic table with a small group of students on the benches. Heidi and Portia were present, but no Fawn. Strange. Nix had seen Fawn's truck in the parking lot. Maybe she was tutoring someone in the library. Sporty Spice read from a copy of the crier. Cross High faculty suspected of on-campus drug deals. Police recently questioned a WCHS faculty member in regards to their name appearing in what purported to be a drug dealer's notebook of clients. Someone hooted. The notebook was delivered early last week to the police station by the mysterious informant calling himself Argus. This journal seems to be the real thing, Officer Mike Crotty of the WCPD told reporters. It holds the names of many known drug offenders, along with accurate prices and transactions. Of course, there were a few surprises as well. One of the surprises was no doubt finding the name of two Cross High faculty members 
along with dollar amounts and recent transaction dates. Animated commentary broke out, and Sporty increased her volume to compensate, but now students were reading over her shoulder, but rather than wave them away, she held the page higher and continued. One of the faculty members vehemently denies any involvement in drug trafficking. I've never so much as seen illegal drugs, the faculty member told our reporter. This claim is preposterous, probably some student angry about their chemistry grade. Everyone laughed. Urbanek? What an idiot. Who's the other one? The morning growl sounded. A few glanced around, but the gathering of students didn't budge. Sporty didn't even pause to breathe. Although at least one of the unnamed faculty members refused to let police search their house, which is under partial reconstructions after a recent fire, more laughter. Journalism at its finest, Heidi said, then seemed disappointed when no one acknowledged her. Officer Crotty is confident they'll have no trouble procuring the needed search warrants. When asked if the teens taken into custody earlier this week had admitted to illegal dealings with the suspected faculty members, WCPD declined comment. For details on other recent drug arrests, see page 4. The students clapped. Nix wasn't sure if they were applauding Sporty's performance or if they were excited Urbanek might get jail time. Pretty wild, huh? Jordan stood next to her, his metal grin stretched so far she thought his face would crack. Is that why the officers are here? Nix asked. To search Urbanek's classroom? Jordan motioned for her to follow, and they both took off along the sidewalk toward the east building. They're going to search everything, Jordan said. My dad said state troopers are bringing in a canine. Another growl echoed, accompanied by McGuckin shouting threats. Sounded like the vice principal was breaking up the press conference. Business as usual, then. Nix was careful not to make eye contact. At least he wasn't possessed. And soon, they'd know if anyone else at WCHS was being controlled by demons. What if it was the same anonymous faculty member whose name was in the notebook? Jordan came in close. So I hear the vice principal brought a lynch mob to your house. A planned public exorcism, which actually went kind of well. What? How? Wait, don't answer that. Where's McGuckin even getting his information about you? A demon? Not in the traditional sense. Nix told Jordan about Polly eavesdropping at the library, and how Fawn inadvertently saved Nix's ample rear by being Fawn. She also told him about Andy's mission to identify compromised students and teachers, and how the Cherries had miraculously decided to man and woman up. This chaotic atmosphere will be perfect for Andy, Nix said over the final growl. I can't believe how fast the word spread. It seems like I'm always the last one to know what's going on. Well, I helped things along, Jordan replied with a grin. I saw the paper when I got up. I bought a few extra copies and distributed them on the bus. You didn't happen to hold on to one, did you? Are you kidding? I bought two just to frame and saved another five for our reading pleasure. Jordan produced a copy of the newspaper and handed it to Nix. She nearly choked when she saw the front headline. Argus reveals town's secrets. Tell all emails lead to 14 investigations, 6 arrests. That will look nice on our wall, don't you think? Jordan said as he opened the door to U.S. government. You don't think that might make your dad a little suspicious? I'll just tell him Argus is my hero. He'll buy it. They took their seats. Ms. Winkle looked at them quizzically. Where is everybody else? Nix looked around. Apart from Polly and Awatif, the classroom was empty. Right now, I'd say getting screamed at by McGuckin, Jordan said with a glance toward the window. Ms. Winkle started the lesson anyway. 
but a few minutes in seemed to realize it wasn't worth it, and told the four of them to take a nap. The teacher sank into her chair with the saddest sigh Nix had ever heard. She does not look good, Jordan whispered. Should we ask her about her diagnosis? Nix shook her head. She'll tell us when she's ready. The period was half over before all the students had filed in, most of them clutching their fragments of newspaper in one hand and a detention slip in the other. Ms. Winkle made an effort to stand and pretend to be teaching, but then ran out of steam and recruited Walter to start a game of U.S. government hangman. When Tiago leaned over to recount how amazing this Argus was, Nix very nearly let the cat out of the refrigerator. Luckily, she caught herself at the last minute. Telling him who Argus was would only raise a lot of other questions she didn't want to answer right then. It was bad enough that his parents hated her. She couldn't risk upsetting the status quo. One day, Nix and Tiago could tell their grandkids about everything. But for now, Nix was a misunderstood, cat-loving spiritualist. In third period, Mr. Raven confiscated all visible newspapers and made no pretense about reading one while the class did review exercises from the back of the English book. All the morning classes were much the same, except that the vice principal would stop in at random intervals and pass out in-school suspension slips to anyone reading anything other than a textbook. At one point, he and Nix made eye contact. Nix couldn't resist giving him an evil little grin. He looked away quickly. She knew she was only making things worse for herself, but gosh, it felt great to have McGuckin scared of her again. Nix, despite peering out windows every chance she got, saw neither Andy nor Principal Weatherwax. She couldn't wait to talk to Andy later and hear how it went. Her guess was that Danny, Mr. Turtletab, and possibly one of Fawn's friends was hosting a demon and or being investigated for drug crimes. Principal Weatherwax was a given. Any minute the office would call and say Nix had to leave for a dentist appointment or something. During fourth period, Mike Crotty entered the computer lab behind a lanky middle-aged state trooper with an enormous German shepherd. The unfamiliar officer looked emaciated next to Crotty's huge frame, but he guided the dog around the room with an arrogance that showed his contempt for the small-town officer. Nix couldn't help feel a little defensive. Mike Crotty may have been only one step above a mall cop, but he did as good a job as any stuck-up state policeman. And no one was a better cop than Jordan's dad. Most of the students seemed scared. Nix felt an irrational relief when the dog passed by her without so much as a sniff. They were trained to identify drugs, she reminded herself, not secrets. As the dog finished its search, Crotty glanced under a computer desk for good measure. The trooper rolled his eyes. A couple students snickered, but Nix frowned at the skinny officer. He was probably jealous that the Woods Cross PD was having so much success, busting drug rings, finding lost statues, solving arson cases, and that wasn't even all of it. It wasn't until lunch that Nix and Jordan finally got a chance to examine the entire paper. They took up their usual spot behind the auditorium. Here's one I didn't see, Jordan said. When did you write in about Paco's horse meat? Nix grabbed the paper from him despite there being a copy in her lap. Wow, that was fast. I sent that email on Wednesday. Jordan grabbed Nix's copy. I guess they were rushing to get all this in the same issue. Looks like the county health inspectors have already paid Dibble a visit, Nix said. It says they've ordered him to pay a huge fine and are going to be checking up on him periodically. Checking up on him? He fed innocent people his unsafe meat to save a few bucks. How are they going to let him stay in business? Oh, he's done. After this, he'll be lucky to give his food away. Nix had a sudden image of the taco shop boarded up and felt a pang of regret. 
She'd spent many great hours of freedom there. Freedom from her mother's tirades, from the school kids' taunting. Now that place of safety wouldn't exist anymore. Oh well. At least Dibble couldn't cheat any more employees. By the end of the lunch period, they'd only gotten halfway through the paper. Most of the articles so far had been about police investigations spurred by the notepad. None of the teens were named, but it sounded like nearly a dozen were brought in for questioning. A few confessed to the drug and assault charges, trying to earn a lighter punishment. One even admitted to year-old vandalism crimes and incriminated several others. There's no way my dad would have given the reporters any of this info, Jordan said with a chuckle. He's going to be seriously ticked at Mike. On their way to fifth period, Nick spotted Mr. Urbanek coming out of the staff room. The skin of his face seemed papery thin, almost translucent with deep rims around his eyes. Out of habit, she checked his shoes, maroon penny loafers. As she watched, Mr. Urbanek rubbed his temples with one hand and shuffled down the hall toward his room, eyes on the floor. Nix almost felt sorry for him. She knew what it was like for everyone in town to think you were a criminal. Of course, the difference was that Urbanek had actually done the things they suspected. And come to think of it, he'd also been responsible for the crime she'd been suspected of. Her sympathy felt a little watered down after that. Once everyone had settled in Homek, Ms. Winkle announced, seated at her desk with an enormous cup of tea, that the boy who'd been in charge of the current event had gone home with an ear infection, and she asked for volunteers to present an article. Half the class raised their hand. Nix, how about you? Nix looked up in confusion. She didn't even have her hand up, but she couldn't bear to disappoint those tired, cancer-ridden eyes. Nix pulled the well-worn newspaper out of her bag, trying to decide which article to share. Maybe the one about Mr. Urbanek being investigated for insurance fraud. But would the kids care about that? Probably not. Would they be interested in all the people around town that had been arrested for selling and using drugs? There was too much to choose from. Nix realized the entire class was still waiting, so she shuffled to the front. Then a short column opposite the classifieds caught her eye. This was part of an email sent by Argus. He writes, It is often dangerous to focus solely on the sickness of society. The more exposure we have to the hard and cold, the more the good and kind seems to pass us by unnoticed. While it's true our town suffers from various maladies, one thing is certain. There are still those quietly working to make it a better place. One such person is Ms. D. Winkle. D teaches U.S. government and home economics at Woods Cross High and lives by the philosophy, any person can make a small difference in another's life. Somewhere in the back, a boy groaned, causing a few others to snicker. Nix ignored them and kept reading, all the while keeping her forehead low enough to hide the red spots. The article went on to recount all the sacrifices Ms. Winkle made in order to make a difference in the lives of students, and although there were many other groans and giggles, when Nix finished, Ms. Winkle's eyes had taken on a glistening quality. She nodded at Nix, who slowly made her way back to the desks where Jordan and Tiago sat. Thank you, Ms. Winkle said after a few moments. It seems the newspaper is running out of things to report on, the class chuckled. Just then Ms. Winkle gave Nix a strange look. The teacher tilted her head slightly, her enormous hair accenting the movement, but her red-rimmed eyes seemed unbearably sad. Nix looked away and felt her own eyes grow moist. Her favorite teacher was going to die. Nix just knew it. How much time did she have? Months? Weeks? After that, Ms. Winkle surprised the class by asking for another current event, one less subjective. 
A boy with a cast on his wrist picked one of the letters to the editors about why Argus should reveal his identity. The curious person also asked if the paper could at least provide them with Argus's email so they could pose questions directly. There was a short note at the end of the letter that assured readers all emails were held confidential and the editors would forward appropriate messages on to Argus. That's a great question, class, Ms. Winkle said after the cast boy sat down. Although she was still seated, her voice seemed a bit stronger than it had in U.S. government. Do you think Argus has a right to his anonymity? Most of the class answered no, and thankfully Jordan kept his comments to himself this time. Surprisingly, it was Walter Snodgrass that dissented. I say who cares, he said without waiting to be called on. Doing a lot for the town. He probably wouldn't be able to get all his secrets if everybody knew who he was. Do you want Argus finding out your secrets? Ms. Winkle asked him. Danny laughed his hideous machine gun laughter, sending everyone's nerves into critical overload. Walter slumped his shoulders. I'm not breaking the law. Ms. Winkle smiled to let him know she was teasing and called up another person to read an article. By the time the final growl sounded, they'd discussed a good portion of the paper and hadn't so much as opened a recipe book. Sorry we didn't get to cooking today, she called as the kids gathered their things. I just wanted you to see what one person can accomplish. Whoever this Argus is, they've made a huge difference in helping our town. Nix lowered her eyes in case Ms. Winkle tried to glance her way. Nix had a sinking feeling she'd underestimated the teacher's powers of deduction. I wish we would have made some food, Tiago said on the way to the rehearsal. I missed lunch and I'm starving. Nix quickly reached into her bag and handed him a long strip of beef jerky. Hey, thanks. Jordan shot her a disapproving look. He'd given her the jerky as a pick-me-up for future out-of-body traveling and didn't look pleased to have it used as a flirting tool. What? He's hungry, Nix whispered. Besides, it's not like I'm ever going to leave my body with all these demons around. Jordan moved past her to put a hand on Tiago's shoulder. So why did you miss lunch, you poor thing? Tiago laughed, a sparkling thing that would make the angels weep with elation. Sara and I were getting to know each other a little better. Nix felt the urge to rip the jerky out of his hand and stuff it back in her bag. Mr. Casanova could forget about any more handouts from the fat food supply girl. She had half a mind to go straight up to Sarah and ask what getting to know each other a little better entailed. But as they approached the auditorium, the said blonde shot out the door and directly into Tiago's arms, screaming. What happened? Everyone asked at once. Nix watched the door, expecting Pillowhead to emerge with a gun. Sarah's screams transitioned into laughter. Tiago and Jordan started laughing with her. Nix rolled her eyes. Sarah was starting to act like Beryl. Tomorrow she'd come to school wearing 80s shades. Did you win the lottery? Tiago asked. Sarah seemed to realize she was acting the fool and took a breath. Someone donated $500 to the drama department, and Mrs. Finkbone said I can get the aquariums. I called my dad. He's going to take me this weekend. Nix couldn't help joining in the celebration. Even though Sarah was still latched onto the only boy Nix had ever loved, she felt an odd satisfaction. For the first time since she'd seen Sarah crying beside her dog, Nix had made good on her promise to protect Sarah, to make her happy. Maybe in a small way, getting this for Sarah would make up for leaving the window open. Now if Nix could just stop the forces of evil from eating Sarah's soul, she might be able to get some homework done. 
the PA system crackled. Nix, Wack, and Fondachet, please report to the office. The word office echoed off the nearby bus barn. Finally, but why the office? School was out. Why didn't Andy just honk her horn from the parking lot? Unless she didn't want the demons to know she was there. What's that about? Tiago asked. Nick shrugged, shared a look with Jordan, then said, If I don't make it to rehearsal, tell Thinkbone I had a good excuse. Which is? Tiago asked. Oh, that boy. Why did he have to be so easy to look at? Just wasn't natural. Family time. Her flippant remark turned out to be prophetic. When she arrived at the office, she found Mrs. Wack, moo-mooed, turbaned, and as white as a sheet. Fawn sat in a chair against the wall, looking simultaneously bored and confused. McGuckin stood next to the seated receptionist, whose eyes were full of tears. Vivek welcomed Nix in with a somber expression. I don't know how to tell you this, girls, but Mr. and Mrs. Jerry have passed away.